thirsty? You've come to the right place to wet your whistle. It's the Liquid Lifestyle with Ryan McGarrian, a full hour of liquid refreshment. Now, here's Ryan. And a very happy Saturday to you, my thirsty listener. You are tuned in to the Liquid Lifestyle on the Radio Northwest Network. And of course, I am your on air bartender and host, Ryan McGarrian. And uh, I hope today finds you relaxing, uh, getting a little rest and relaxation after what might have been a tough week, and uh, hopefully you'll find a, a nice frosty beverage or two to match the weather. And uh, i got to tell you, I am so excited about uh, the conversation we're going to have today. I uh, rarely get to sit with uh, my dear friend Lucy Brennan, one of the kind of original, basically, in my opinion, the queen of cocktails here in Portland, if, if not in the Pacific Northwest as a whole. But... Uh, I've got Lucy here with me today, and we're going we're gonna to talk about all the success she's had over the years uh, from her early days uh, back at Zephyro and, and Saucebox on to, you know, taking, the, taking what I thought was a big risk, putting a, her first uh, restaurant out in, uh, in East Portland before anybody would even consider such a thing, and, and on to the other th- stuff she's done. She's done so much. Lucy, how the heavens are you? I am wonderful. It's great to be here with you, Ryan. Oh, man, I tell you what. So you're the second British woman we've had on the show in, in two and a half months. I don't know what that says, but uh, I tell you what, those, uh, those accents are tantalizing. So one of the great things about being able to interview you today is not only to talk about your success and what you brought to the table, but uh, kind of to, it, it allows us to backtrack and really kind of follow the origins of the Portland craft cocktail scene. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people really believe that Portland craft cocktails might have started with bars like Teardrop. And man, Teardrop had an enormous amount of influence on today's cocktail scene and really represented kind of a, a shift in how a lot of people think about mixed drinks. And I think that had a lot to do also with uh, the timing with regards to social media and whatnot. But well before Teardrop, there was there was Lucy Brennan and there was a, there was a lot of great bartenders in this town. And uh, I, shoot, I remember back then, you know, we were, I would argue that Portland in the, uh, in the mid nineties even was one of the most progressive mixed drink towns. I mean, we were already using fresh ingredients. Uh, You saw creativity. I mean, you were a huge part of that. So, um, you know, tracking back to the beginnings of the Portland kind of cocktail movement, I think it really started with, with how dining evolved, you know, with uh, the dining experience evolution, which I think now somebody will probably correct me online after this, but I think it really started with places like Pozzo. I remember Pozzo, you know, being the first kind of big, like high-end restaurant scene. That bar was packed. Uh, they uh, they were. It was just a big deal. And then right on the heels of that came Mr. Bruce Carey, and uh, his business partner and chef Chris Israel, and their partner Monique, and um, and Zephyro, and the restaurants that came after that. And uh, you know, with that came a woman named Peggy Boston. That sadly, I think a lot of people they don't know who Peggy is. And you know, when people contact me about the history of mixed drinks throughout the country, I'm like, there's one name that if you miss, you're missing a huge part of what we're doing. That's Peggy Boston. Uh, And Peggy, uh, setting the scene again, uh, set up the bar program for Zephyro and for Bima, where I worked in 1997, and Saucebox. And Lucy, this is where you come in, where I want you to comment specifically, is, uh, you know, you were on the team at Saucebox and Zephyro. Uh, You know, what was... What was what was what were the early years of Portland of the Portland cocktail scene like? What was it like uh, working with Peggy, and uh, what did you learn, and, and what did you, what do you think you took forward from that? 
Well, actually, I didn't actually have uh, the opportunity to work directly with Peggy, but I definitely uh, walked into her foundation of great cocktail programs, both at Sourcebox and at Zephro. Uh, with Zephro, I definitely was introduced to uh, more infusions and her working with the kitchen. Uh, very hands-on, like, you know, ingredients to vodkas, to tequilas. Um, and then when I took over running the bar at Sourcebox in 95, again, there was already a, a wonderful cocktail list. And Bruce and Chris trusted me to continue what they'd already, you know, built there with Peggy. Um, and it's true, I think a lot of people have, actually don't even know who Peggy is, but she's definitely, in my opinion, the, the major force from the beginning of Cocktail Revolution of Portland, you know. No doubt. Um, I believe she's back in the East Coast somewhere. I'm not sure if she's even still in the industry, but um, I would love to have a cocktail with her in the future and to say thank you, Peggy, for you know bringing her knowledge to, to Portland's uh, cocktail scene. Well, if any of you know where Peggy's at, by all <laughs> means, give her a heads up that we're talking about her and we're, we're thankful for her contribution. I do believe, it seems like the last time I saw her, she was getting into wine or something like that. But uh, anyhow, so you were uh, you're working both at Zephyro and Saucebox. Saucebox! was a big freaking deal. I mean, that was like, it was this small, kind of inconspicuous bar melding like an extreme freaking cocktail menu with a DJ, but it wasn't a dance club. I mean, this place was a revelation of entertainment back then. Would you agree? Oh, totally. It was uh, it was a playground for both Bruce and, Bruce and Chris. They had Zephyr, and so they opened up, you know, their second venue where they just wanted to go and relax with their friends, great cocktails. They traveled a lot. They were in San Francisco. They saw great cocktails, and they bought that to to Sourcebox and uh, I spent five years there running the bar I loved every minute of it Um, and it was definitely a playground and it still is to this day so that in itself is a great testimony to to what again what Peggy built there in my opinion yeah I mean it is incredible that you know I think uh, it was established in 96 maybe or 95 95 so we're 20 years in that place is still rocking it uh, it's still one of the best vibes in town, still has great food. Uh, how long were you at Saucebox? Remind me, Lucy. I was there from 95 to 2000, okay. and Zephyro just on and off, like, filling in for a couple of years towards the end of Zephyro. Yeah. So. Can, you, can you remind our – I'm sure there's a few people listening that are, like, just – almost in tears, waxing, you know, having memories of the great times at Zephro. Zephro, to me, was the original super freaking cool Portland restaurant. It started it all. You want to tell, uh, tell, our, tell our listener uh, a little bit more about what Zephro is all about? Well, like I keep on mentioning, Bruce and Chris moved up from San Francisco and up and up to Zephro, I want to say 90 or 91, but I'm pretty confident it was 1990. Um, and they bought the culinary palette uh, to Portland, but their bar, the bar in Zephyr, to me, actually bartending, it was. It's, I have fun memories of that. It was. A, it was elegant. It was sexy. It was classy. The best Caesar, Caesar salad in town. You know the classic Zephyr martini. Um, just, just really well done. And and to be honest, I don't think there is anything to this day that duplicates that. I mean, definitely Blue Hour, Bruce's, you know, other uh, restaurant has an element of that. But the intimacy of Zephyr on the corner there, wintertime when it would snow, and you'd, you know, it was just it has. It, I get I'm getting goosebumps right now, reminding of 20 years ago. But yeah, it was a, it was a very special bar for sure. It was a special bar, and I, I, I remember when I heard it was closing ahead of Blue Hour's opening, and I thought, hey, there's a genius to Bruce Carey, just like, you know, letting one thing kind of have its moment and then moving on to the next, uh, but man, was I like, how can, how can you do that to such a, I mean, I just, the iconic things of that restaurant, like the white walls and the, the just, uh, that woman, that, uh, this is tough, you remember the picture of the woman in the bathroom? That is the sexiest pic 
of a woman I think I've ever seen. I don't even know how to, and, and I think it's on the wall actually at 23 Hoyt to this day. But you have to, I think if you go to 23 Hoyt and go to the back, you'll 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 figure out which one that is. But uh, dude has, dude has a lot of taste. And uh, so, uh, moving into so Saucebox to 2000, that's right about when you started kicking around the idea of doing your own thing. That's right, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, towards the end of. 99, early 2000, I was like, you know, it's, I think it's time for myself to, to venture out, do my own bar, restaurant, and that's when I left Sourcebox, and I opened up Mint uh, in North Portland in the year 2000, early 2001, and then I, after two years after that, I opened up the bar right next door, 820, uh, 2003 I opened that, and actually just recently sold both of them in June of this year, so I had a 14 and a half year run and I'm very proud of that and it's still going my cocktails are still there and people should go and enjoy them and uh yeah that's so cool and 14 and a half years in bar years being open and successful is like a thousand years so I mean that's a massive success story and uh so I remember you tell uh, tell me if I remember this correctly did you were you basically did you have from the talent you displayed behind the bar didn't somebody come and basically write you a check to help you out kind of an angel investor I had one regular customer that uh, was very intrigued by me because I actually got pissed off at him one night because he was kind of a weenie to me, but uh, we're still friends to this day. But yeah, he was the first person saying, Lucy, you should go do this for yourself. And he gave me the, uh, you know, a small loan and then I you know, got another loan and then approached many banks and they turned me down. But one bank finally said, yes, we're going to back you. And as I said, that was back in 2000 and opened it in 2001. So yeah. I remember fondly because I remember you allowing me take the taking uh, allowed me to take the first bartending shift and uh, gosh what a pleasure to be chatting with you today we got to jump out uh, second segment coming right up Welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle here on the Radio Northwest Network. Another beautiful day here in P-Town, the city of roses, hops and hipsters. And we are so fortunate to have Lucy Brennan, my good friend LB, sitting with us chatting Portland cocktails, the origin of the Portland cocktail scene, her own successes, bars, books, all those kind of things. And, uh, you know, on the break, Lucy, you had mentioned uh, that we left out a critical, at least from your perspective, a critical cocktail bar uh, with regards to early the early development of the Portland cocktail scene. Tell us about that bar, Lucy. Oh, definitely. Um, hats off to Brazen Bean. They were around the corner, actually, from Zephro. And Houston and Jeff were executing fresh fruit, uh, just infusions, making wonderful cocktails. And I think they just got overlooked. I'm not quite sure, but I just wanted to, to shout out to those two right there. I think Jeff is in Seattle, and I'm not sure where Houston is. I think they may be still in the industry, but um, I know that Jeff opened up Chapel up in Seattle and was making awesome cocktails up there, too. So, yeah, I just want to put that out there. Yeah, I tell you what, I do remember him opening chapel. I did I did my hard time in Seattle from 2000 to 2006, and that was a big deal up there, just this massive bar in an old mortuary of all places, and uh, he did a great job with that. And I remember the Brazen Bean, too. I actually used to live right around the corner from that bad boy, right around the corner from Zephyro, Moomoo's, all those fun places. And, uh, you know, back then, before I had kind of really gained a... I guess a more complex palette. I was all about that white chocolate martini that they had, man. That thing was badass. And you know what? They were the first 
cats using cucumber in drinks that I saw. So, I mean, so much of the stuff I've been exposed to over the years, I can trace it back to people like yourself and people at the Brazen Bean doing fun stuff. So, man, I want to get back to talking about you know, your evolution. So uh, in the last segment, uh, to recap a little bit, we, uh, we talked about you making the jump from Saucebox in 2000 to opening your restaurant, which is called Mint. And I tell you, I, you know, uh, having known you and uh, you are a risk taker because, you know, Mint, for people who don't know, what's the address on that again? It's 816 North Russell Street. Right, so it puts it right there next to the White Eagle and their little ghost story that they got going on and, uh, and the Widmere Brew. So it's right there in that little enclave. But I tell you what, there was not much going on down there 15 years ago. I remember when I saw that spaceship, I was just like, but I, you know, to me, I remember, I remember a conversation between you and I where I was like, I had no doubt, just had no doubt that you were going to crush it. But I remember you were just like, and I'll never forget you said this to me because I remember feeling the same way in some instances when I opened bars. It's like, I just, you know, when you open your doors that first day, you, you, you think you have it all together, but then you just wonder if anybody's going to walk in. You remember telling me that, Lucy? I do. And I, I, and I was true to my word because I was. The first day was like, um, is anyone going to come in and enjoy a cocktail and a great bite? And the same thing when I opened up 820 right next door, I had the same feeling. I think if you don't have that feeling when you're opening a bar, then perhaps you're missing what it's all about, like taking the risk, and nothing comes easy. No, there's no guarantee in life. Period. So, for me, that's part of the charm, and that's part of the the risk of, of doing it. You know, just it's romantic in some ways, isn't it? You know, in a very disturbing way. Yes, Ryan. <laughs> Disturbingly romantic is a great term for those who decide to open restaurants and bars anywhere in the world. But uh, I don't know. It's kind of sexy being disturbingly romantic. I don't know. But uh, so tell us, walk us through the concept, the original concept of Mint. I remember the early days just, man, that bar was just, it was it. It was it for years. And just you went in there, it was packed. You were out there knocking out cocktails. People were going berserk. Tell us about the original kind of idea of Mint itself. When I first opened Mint, I just wanted to have something where, you know, a lot of my regulars from downtown, from Sourcebox, were like, you know, reach out, do your own thing. I finally had the, the integrity to do that. I just wanted to have something in a very unique location of Portland. And at that time, North Russell, like you said, there was nothing really there. Tumbleweeds coming down the street. But the building itself had so much history. And I just wanted to have fun with it. Um, my list when I first opened up, only I think I only had five cocktails. Now I think it's like 45 cocktails that we serve, or they serve there now. Um, and it just grew with me. And just and the more confident I got with having my own place, you know, taking that transition of just being a bartender to bar owner, operator, um, the, the list uh, kind of evolved um, I guess with my confidence and with the clientele asking and me kind of growing with the fruit purees and definitely challenging myself with bringing the kitchen more behind the bar. Now when I say that, it feels very like passe because it's been done for so many years now, decades at this point. Um, like the avocado daiquiri, everyone thought I was absolutely nuts and crazy, which I am, for the record I am, but in a sanely way. Um, and just have fun with it, you know, and that was one of my most playful drinks that was daring and kind of risky, but that's kind of how I seem to do things, it seems. so. I tell you what, talk about disturbingly romantic. No more disturbingly romantic a drink than that avocado daiquiri. And gosh, it's just, we have so many memories together. Another memory I'm pulling from the Armenian database right now is, uh, is you and I sitting at the bar at Blue Hour while I was on a trip down from Seattle. That must have been, gosh, right when it opened. And t- you telling me about the kind of how long that took and what what was in your head walk us through the creation of what might be kind of besides the spanish coffee the most eponymous drink in portland 
Wow. Okay. Well, I was actually making a banana daiquiri a long time ago, 20 years ago, uh, down at Sourcebox. And I am not a big fan of bananas. I'm sorry, but I actually love avocados. And for me, if I need something quick to eat on the run, I just slice avocado. And I thought, what's the difference between the two of those? So I just try just put in the avocado in place of the banana. And when I originally did it, I muddled it. And I remember actually showing it to Bruce, my old boss, and he just thought I was absolutely the craziest British bartender. Again, I still am, but I definitely tweaked it. It took me a couple of years to tweak it, and um, it became a blended daiquiri. And it's, uh, as I said, it's got a little, it's one of my playful drinks that became quite popular. So it's freak. If you haven't been down to Mint Eight Twenty and had the avocado daiquiri, it is. I mean, you think about it, and it really is one of those drinks that you just it can't get your head around. And you think, what can that be like? And it's it's better. I mean, I think it sounds amazing no matter what because avocado on anything in in my world is is a is a thumbs up. But it's not sweet. Uh, your touch of drizzled pomegranate molasses as a juxtaposition to the kind of soft flavors of the rum and the uh, 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 the avocado. that That's the thing that always blew my mind. And the, just the aesthetic. You did that, you know, you drizzle it, then you pull the straw through it. I mean, it was, I just remember my first sip of it and just, in the avocado almost makes the pomegranate taste like a chocolate drizzle. There's, it, it's, I just, I still like, I feel like I need to go down and have one after this. <laughs> after this. <laughs> well, it's one of those drinks, that's, it's very eye-catching. It's a uniquely pretty drink. Um, it kind of reminded me of doing the drizzle on like a cheesecake kind of thing. Um, it was, for me, cocktails, they also have to look good, taste good, but they have to have all, all the senses. And I think that one definitely knocks it, uh, knocks it out of the park. So, yeah. But I do have a funny story to talk about that um, perhaps we should take a break. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, it's just, I mean, time is absolutely flying uh, today here with Lucy Brennan former owner of Mint and 820, which still exist and still just kick butt. Lucy has meant so much to the Portland cocktail community, and we will continue our conversation with LB in just a few minutes. And welcome back to the Liquid Lifestyle here on the Radio Northwest Network. Again, we have Lucy Brennan, excellent, amazing Portland bartendress for many, 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 many years, uh, former owner of Mint and 820, author of the book Hip Sips, uh, which we'll talk about here in just a little bit. But uh, we've been talking about the evolution of Mint, one of the first kind of real kind of super well-known cocktail lounges probably on the West Coast, not just Portland. I mean, it was a big, big deal. This thing was in magazines. Um, I mean, you you were really kind of on a, on, a, on a peak, man. I tell you, I remember you, uh, it, Food & Wine Magazine, I think it was 2004 or five. Uh, had a whole issue for the first time. I remember this because I thought it was so important that a food publication would acknowledge the legitimacy of cocktails as a culinary art and they selected who they thought were the five most most influential bartenders relevant bartenders uh, in the country at that time uh, and you were one of those five that must have been that must have just blown your mind that was pretty surreal um, if I remember correctly I was the only female bartender it was a huge honor and getting to meet the four other fellas uh, was a, a, there's something about meeting other bartenders that are just 
like geeks about talking about cocktails and spirits um it was uh yes it was nice to be acknowledged in a format that was you know married with a great publication such as food and wine um and taking it to a different level and taking people's mindset a little bit different from what they thought of a bartender to now where it is now which is completely you know completely revelized revelized Revolutionized. Revolutionized. I have not been drinking, I swear. Um, the whole concept of what people perceive to be what's happening behind the bar, and like I keep on mentioning, the kitchen and the bar, for me, is always, I've always wanted to bridge the two, and that definitely helped. Yeah, and I remember that drink that you did, that you were featured with, was outrageously delicious. I remember, I remember it had port in it. I remember it wasn't sweet, though. Uh, remind me about that bad boy. Definitely. That was called The Mission. Uh, again, that's served at Mint in 820. It's uh, vanilla vodka, ruby port, fig puree, a little bit of lemon lime juice, and just a hint of vanilla syrup. And I, I was asked to make it in the full time, so I kind of assumed you know, fig and port, so those were the two elements. And with the vanilla, it just kind of balanced really well. And it's actually, yeah, it's, it's again, a very unique stand-by-its-own kind of cocktail. Yeah, I find that uh, fig is fig's a drastically underutilized flavor profile in our world and uh, I think the genius in that drink was just using the port to really pull out those flavors and uh, obviously the vanilla that's just going to spike everything so that's pretty awesome so so you have mint and and then you expand and and things kind of went nuts for you when you expanded into the space next door and opened 820 uh, was your confidence level a little different after having had success with mint was just a no-brainer to expand uh, no, I thought about it for a very long time. And honestly, what happened with Mint, it turned into a restaurant, which was not my original idea. I definitely wanted to have a bar, a lounge, excuse me. But, you know, Oregon, you have to serve food, which, which is great. So my chef at the time, you know, elevated it. So it, it, it grew into a restaurant. And then with the popularity of my cocktails taking over next door, it seemed like it would be a no-brainer, but I wanted to make sure I could do it right. But I finally did and opened up the doors. And again, I remember the first night thinking, who, I don't know if anyone's going to show up. And the turnout was, uh, it was, <laughs> was mind-blowing to me. It was one of the best nights of my career, um, just to have that reinforcement that, you know, people appreciate the drinks that I was doing or I have done. I remember that because I was behind the bar that night. I was, embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassingly, I was rocking a, a tank top with a star on it. I don't know what that came from, but uh, I guess I was in that phase of my journey, whatever that means. But I remember champagne being passed around. It was packed. It was beautiful. Who designed that room? Um, I believe originally it was Skylab. No, Skylab did the mid-side, and then uh, I actually designed the bar. The layout of the bar, do you mean? I was... I was thinking more of the, uh, just, yeah, I mean, so just the room itself. I just thought the room was stunning, and it had that kind of, that living room behind the bar that dropped out. Oh, yeah, out. that was actually already there, so I had no really play on that. What, um, I actually did the layout of the actual bar. It was a, it was a blank room when I walked into it. Um, and then just putting the banquette on the side, I wanted it really simple. The floor I loved. It's, it's old. It's rustic. It is what it is. I didn't put it in. Um, and then I put the patio in on the side another year later. So it just kind of eventually, it grew the way it was supposed to, so. Yeah, and that, that, that not was, that is a sexy bar. I mean, that serpentine flow. I, I, how many photographs did I see in magazines in the first couple of years of that bar with, the, with, the, uh, with your famous lollipop rims that you use for your glasses on that bar top? 
tell us about this. You, you're known for a lot of things, the daiquiri, your success as a business person and bartender. But this this sugar rim strategy, we'll call it, has has been had huge influence throughout the city. I know one of the city's most popular drinks is that uh, it's at Andina, the sexy woman, which is the passion fruit spicy drink that our friend Greg Hoitzma created, I think, uh, years ago. And it has the quintessential Lucy Brennan lollipop rim. Where did that come from? Well, I've always been a fan of, if you're going to do it, you know, do it 150%. And for me, I, there's nothing worse for me going into a bar, seeing a lovely lady sitting with a lemon drop and just like hints of sugar around the rim. So I just literally, I grabbed an orange, sliced it and did the complete rim and dipped the, the rim of the martini glass into powdered sugar, excuse me, not powdered sugar, baker's sugar, and came out with the lollipop rim. Uh, I just love the fact that the drink can be already consumed, but people are still licking the sugar off the glass. I mean, hell, who doesn't like sugar, you know? Who doesn't like sugar? This whole, man, how much of the world economy has been built on the <laughs> sugar industry and, and whatnot. But uh, yeah, that's just been, it's just, it's been a huge contribution. Uh, I know that, you know, that's the, I still do that myself. I make sure I get a, you know, I figure, yeah, if somebody wants a sugar rim on a drink, they want that sugar rim. I mean, go deep, right? Just yeah. go, go, go deep, go big. Uh, yeah, it's been great. And what was that other drink that you, oh, there's that, the 820 with the cilantro. Oh, actually, that's the ad lib. That one is, uh, that's kind of a funny story, too. I was actually uh, asked to come up with a drink for Crater Lake, Ben Distilleries, their vodka. And uh, I was part of this competition, and there was five of us. I was the last bartender to go up. We all had to submit our drinks, ingredients. Mine was incredibly similar to the guy in front of me, so I changed mine, and I just ran into the walk-in. A friend of mine, Greg, actually helped me with this. He was like, I was on the phone with him, I don't know what to do here, what do I do? And he walked me through, go into the walk-in, grab some cilantro, and I'm like, I hate cilantro, just trust me. So I got cilantro and basically muddled the cilantro and made a lemon drop into it, and then executed and gave it out, and I didn't even taste it, because I I seriously do not like cilantro, and that became thus the name ad lib because someone was like what's the name of it and i told them the story and they were like someone said ad lib so that's that's where that drink was born yeah that that's been yeah you've got so many ringers in your database that's pretty cool so if somebody rolls into you know i know that you've uh, moved on you've sold the business but you know they're still holding up your standards they're still uh, holding up your menu what are there any other drinks that you feel like people should consider if they go on 820 or mint uh, that really represent your style and philosophy of mixing drinks um i would definitely try the ruby which is a beet infused vodka martini um again i was out with friends having a beet salad the night before and i came into work came into mint got a bottle of vodka sliced up some beets let it sit for three days and just made a martini out of that um one of my thing about my drinks has always been, you know, I don't think uh, more is better. I think less. I think three or four ingredients is kind of the rule of thumb for my style of drinks. Um, not saying that anything more than that is wrong. But for me, if I read a drink that reads a list of ingredients, it loses my interest. And you lose your palate, in my, in my opinion. Um, so another drink maybe to try there would be the uh, 816, which is a passion fruit uh, lemon drop, essentially. Um, I mean, they're all, they're all great cocktails. <laughs> I agree with that, man. It's I, one of the things that I think uh, describes your approach is just it's very escapist. I think when you sit down at 820 or if you're mixing drinks for somebody, I mean, so what are Lucy's drinks like? They're ultra fresh. 
they're balanced, and they're kind of escapist. I mean, they're not, I mean, I, I can almost use the word tiki, though they're not tiki, but in the same way that a tiki drink is an escapist experience, I find that a Lucy Brennan is an escapist experience as well. So, so, you, so you get that recognition, 820 is going great. When do you start to, at what point do you start to think you are ready to maybe move out of ownership? I mean, this, it's rare that I talk to a bartender who's had the success and then has already moved out. Like, this, this is so unique. So it's, let's talk about that. Well, I think that for me, 14 and a half years into it, uh, still having people loving the cocktails there, it was just for me, just time to, just to walk, not walk away, but move into something else. Um, Actually, Lucy, we have to take a quick break here. Once again, we are with Lucy Brennan, Portland bartendress extraordinaire, former owner of Mint 820, uh, author of Hip Sips. You're listening to The Liquid Lifestyle on the Radio Northwest Network. Welcome back to The Liquid Lifestyle. Hope you're having a fantastic Saturday afternoon. And we are stoked to have Lucy Brennan, former owner of Mitten 820, the author of Hip Sips, an awesome cocktail book, sitting in with us. And man, we've been talking Portland cocktail scene and, and, and sauce box, Zephyro, that beautiful restaurant from uh from early on in the portland dining experience and then we moved on to talk about mint lucy's eponymous restaurant bar that grew into 820 and you know at the end of the last segment lucy you know we were going into the idea that man i, I meet a lot of bartenders uh, who dream of opening a bar and very few that actually do and even fewer who have a lot of success and then even fewer who decide, ah, I think I'm going to move on from all this nonsense. And, and you are one of those unique individuals. So I guess my, my question is, what's next for Lucy Brennan? Well, I mean, you know, stepping away from Mint, selling Mint and 820, uh, what I left with was a lot of great memories, but also a great uh, appreciation for my customers loving me teaching cocktail classes. And I've been doing a lot of private cocktail classes at people's homes. Uh, I've been doing a lot of uh, corporate ones. Uh, large groups um, and then you know kind of for me taking a personal interest in the, the food side in the kitchen side and you know spending time with fellow uh, chefs and just kind of picking their brains because I feel like it's it's very it's been flipped it's been very focused on the bar and now for, from a bartender's point of view from my point of view I want to spend more time dissecting the vinaigrette dissecting the you know all the different uh, I don't know the balances in the kitchen and, and perfecting my palate and if that means I open a bar in 18 months and then my cocktail list is completely new then that's a huge possibility but at this point I don't know so I'm just kind of broadening my my palate if you will so in a lot of ways it's you're almost following the steps of uh of bruce bruce carey in that you have this very successful place but you decide to move on from it and and pursue something else kind of like he did moving from zephyro to to blue hour but you haven't figured out obviously what your next step is but just the idea i guess on, on the broadband idea that you would you know let something be and then move to something else in your life whatever that may be i think that's pretty pretty bold really exciting very unique and 
it's very Lucy. It's very like you know you are an iconoclast, and that's that's really 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 exciting. So, you know, we're uh, we got a short segment, and I want to make sure we talk about your book because that thing is everywhere. Crate and Barrel, there it is. Uh, Whole Foods, there it is. It's everywhere. Tell us about Hip Sips. Well, Hip Sips is a book that um, I did. Oh gosh, ten years ago now at this point. Uh, Forty of my cocktails, and then twenty contemporary cocktails. Um, it was. I wanted it to be playful. I wanted it to be accessible. I used to spend every Sunday at Pals. Uh, this is again twenty years ago in the cocktail aisle, the bartender book, and just reading all these classic cocktails. And what I would leave with was like, if I wasn't a bartender, this would be like French or, or Japanese to me. I don't speak either of those. So what I mean is, you know, if if I'm a person on the other side of the bar and I want to learn how to make a decent cocktail for my girlfriends. What book would I pick up at Pals? And so that was my that was my driving force behind, you know, Hip Sips. If I was to do another book, it would definitely be a little more leaning towards the palate, comparing the food and, and, and spirits together. So that was the ten years ago, that's why I came up with Hip Sips. Yeah, and, and that's the interesting thing about the evolution of the craft is in ten years ago Hip Sips was a revelation for people. People none of us were thinking quite that deeply yet about these hyper ratios and the science and and which we do now which is wonderful so uh yeah that makes a lot of sense that if you were to kind of you know take a look at publishing something else that it would include those things and uh so what are you enjoying uh on a personal level where i mean are you you dining with with the more time that you have on your hands are you dining out a little bit are you hiking i know that you and i are both fans of staying fit what you, what are you up to well, I'm, I'm still working out at the gym. Uh, my girlfriend and I have two dogs, and we spend a lot of time going to Silver's Island, hiking, um, going to the coast a lot. It's, you know, I, now that I have this free time, my phone's not going off the hook. Um, I'm definitely appreciating how gorgeous Portland is in the summertime and what a great city I've been living in the past 20-plus years. Um, I love Portland. I love Oregon. I'm enjoying watching it grow. And yes, I do go out to bars, and yes, I do, you know, sneak in the old-fashioned every now and again. Um, but mainly trying to, you know, just, just spend time with my girlfriend and just kind of enjoying life at this point. That's awesome. Do you have? Uh, you're a hiker. You get the, get out there with with the dogs. And uh, I tell you what, where can you throw a hike out? You got it. No, no you, so but Savi Island, Savi Island. You like Savi Island, uh, Montnomah Falls. I don't know the trails. My girlfriend does all the organizing. I just put on the backpack and we just go. We drive out of town, you know, forty-five minutes to an hour. We go head north in Washington. Um, I feel embarrassed to say I go hiking. I've gone on maybe four or five hikes this month. I mean this year. So I'm not considered a seasoned hiker, but for me, that, that that's that's a lot. That is a lot more than most. Lucy, what a freaking pleasure. Uh, you have been enjoying the liquid lifestyle. As always, this is your on-air bartender, Ryan McGarry, and signing out, reminding you to always drink your best.